Welcome to The Informationist, the podcast that breaks down complex financial concepts into simple, fast, and easy to understand terms. We realize that financial jargon can be overwhelming, so we make it our mission to bring you accessible information, helping you to use financial terms and concepts to your advantage. Stay updated by subscribing to The Informationist podcast today. In this episode, we enter the world of U.S. Treasury operations with a focus on the recent resolution of the debt ceiling, often perceived as crisis averted. Yet, is everything truly back to normal? As the Treasury prepares to refill its coffers, we're going to dissect the mechanics of this operation, the role of bank reserves, the Fed's reverse repo window, and the underlying complexities that could impact financial markets. So, let's unpack this, nice and easy as always, as we explore the great refunding of the Treasury. Here's your host, James Lavish. Well, 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 the debt ceiling issue is resolved, so the U.S. Treasury can pay all its obligations to various programs and contractors again. And most importantly, it won't default on U.S. Treasury debt. So then, crisis averted. All is good, right? Right? Well, maybe. Because now that the Treasury has been approved for a larger line of credit, it has to fill the piggy bank back up again. Like a Hoover vacuum, the Treasury is about to suck up market liquidity all around it and by the estimates of Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan, to the tune of over $1 trillion. Oink, oink. But where is all this cash going to come from? And what will be the impact to the markets when the vacuuming begins? Excellent questions that many people have started to ask recently. Ones that can impact your portfolio and its performance too. So this is a super important one, something I wrote all about recently. So let's unpack all this nice and easy, as always, and then we'll check in on the Treasury and see how they've been doing with all this hoovering so far. First, what exactly is the Treasury General Account? Well, just like it sounds, this is basically the U.S. Treasury's checking account, where it holds cash and pays its bills. If you've been watching the debt ceiling drama, you may have also noticed that the account balance has fallen to a precipitous level. I mean, seriously close to the point of being overdrawn. Except unlike a checking account in a bank, there is no overdraft protection for the TGA. Once it hits zero, there is no courtesy call or a $30 convenience fee. It's simply game over. The Treasury defaults. So, thank God for the heroics of Congress, the Senate, and the White House all rushing to Janet Yellen's distress signals from the last few months. Except they waited until the absolute last second before the Treasury became insolvent. And now the Treasury is ready to turn the spigot back on and refill its coffers. But how much liquidity do they need and where will it all come from? Some people assume it will come from bank reserves and the massive reverse repo balances banks have been sitting on. But it's a bit more complicated than that, so let's investigate. The first big question is, how much debt does the Treasury need markets to soak up? And how fast do they have to do it? I've read a number of reports recently that suggest the Treasury targets to return the TGA balance to approximately $550 billion by the end of June. This seems to fit with recent average TGA balances and would make sense after the surge in M2 during 2020 due to massive money printing, which means the Treasury needs to float about $500 billion of U.S. Treasuries over the course of just a few weeks. Not a small sum, but not quite crippling either. A couple of nuances, though, because that may not be the full amount they actually need to raise. First, there's a total of about $225 billion of Treasuries that are maturing in June and need to be replaced. Remember, the U.S. operates in a perpetual deficit and must borrow more to pay off old debts. This is why the TGA doesn't just get replenished with U.S. government profits or tax revenues. They're all already spent. And then some. 
Also, do you remember that whole extraordinary measures statement from Yellen a few months ago? You know, the one where she said the Treasury would skip out on payments to certain retirement programs and other government obligations in order to ensure the Treasury didn't default on any debt? Right. That means the Treasury's been stealing from Peter to pay Paul, as they say. And so, on top of refilling the TGA and paying off maturing debt, the Treasury also has a few internal past-due tabs it needs to clear up too. And this is why Goldman and J.P. Morgan are estimating the total amount of capital the Treasury needs to raise is more along the lines of $1 trillion to $1.1 trillion. And this is before any QT that the Fed has been trying to accomplish. You may recall that this is selling the U.S. Treasuries that are on the Fed's balance sheet after buying debt during 2020 with money created out of thin air by the Treasury. In any case, the Fed's been trying to roll that off its balance sheet to help battle inflation, and the current target is to sell approximately $95 billion of total assets per month. Those are U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Okay, so where's all this needed liquidity going to come from? Bank reserves? The reverse repo slush fund? And how fast are we talking here? A little recap on banks and the reserves. These are essentially deposits that the banks keep on hand in order to meet leverage and liquidity requirements as set by the Fed. And even though the requirement was reduced to zero by the Fed during 2020, banks must meet the Fed and bank regulators' required liquidity coverage ratio, or the LCR. Plus, banks have their own internal liquidity measurements and requirements. After all, nobody wants to end up like Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic. As of right now, there are a total of $3.27 trillion of reserves in U.S. banks. So if the Treasury needs a trillion dollars, we're talking about draining a third of those reserves in a month. This would be massive and effectively a form of additional QT, quantitative tightening, which is removing liquidity out of the markets. Remember what we just said a few minutes ago. The current QT plan is about $95 billion per month. The $1 trillion of U.S. Treasury needs would amount to over 10 times that. Okay, where else can the Treasury draw from? The reverse repo slush pile, of course. Maybe. I talked all about repos, reverse repos, and more in a recent newsletter. If you didn't see that or want a refresher, you can find a link to it in the show notes. But basically, reverse repos are a way for banks to park excess cash the Fed to earn interest in lieu of reserves. After the great money printing of 2020, a number of banks found themselves sitting on massive piles of cash. How much? Would you believe $2.1 trillion? See, banks are limited in the amount of treasuries they can buy due to the SLR, or Supplemental Leverage Ratio. I know, all these ratios. And so these banks are using the Fed's reverse repo facility to earn interest safely. Now you may be thinking, wait, this means much of the reverse repo money likely can't be used to buy U.S. treasuries either then. Which is true. But this is also why the Treasury may be forced to issue a whole lot more shorter-dated paper, i.e. T-bills, instead of longer-dated Treasuries. This way, the cash that's currently parked in the reverse repo facility can be used to fund the Treasury's needs, because T-bills fall outside the SLR calculation. So, if the Treasury doesn't want to issue shorter paper, then it'll have to work with the Fed and regulators to have the SLR ratio limits raised, so banks can own more longer-dated Treasuries. Bottom line, if the $1 trillion of treasuries soak up reverse repo cash, it's not a form of QT, as this money is otherwise idle. It's not really a tightening measure, in my opinion. It's just sitting on the sidelines. And so, if the treasury leans this way and finds a mechanism to draw from reverse repo instead of reserves, then the impact of borrowing $1 trillion can be partially or mostly muted. Otherwise, there will be a tightening effect on the economy. 
Okay, now for a little update here since I wrote all that, let's look at how the Treasury is doing and how the market's absorbing all this so far. As expected, the Treasury's been issuing mostly shorter paper, or T-bills, floating $590 billion in short paper so far in June. They've also issued $120 billion in notes which mature in 10 years or less. And they have auctions scheduled for another $300 billion of paper, half are short-term T-bills again, and half are two- to seven-year notes in the next week or so. Add that all up, and it looks like we're right on the money on our estimates of $1 trillion of Treasury needs this month. So, where has it all been soaked up so far? Well, a large portion of that $225 billion of maturing debt has presumably been rolled from maturity right back into USTs. Bank reserves have net dropped by $50 billion this month, so some have been soaked up there. And the reverse repo facility has fallen by $260 billion. Surprise, surprise. That all adds up to $535 billion, leaving about $55 billion for foreign investors. Well done, Treasury, tapping that parked reverse repo cash. But there's still a small problem. Virtually all of that $590 billion of T-bills floated matures in just a few weeks or months. And so the Treasury will have to just roll it again. And again. And again. Bad news. The yields are much higher for short-term paper than longer-term. The good news is this keeps the Treasury from being locked into long-term high rates, which will negatively impact the deficit for longer. When rates do come down, and they will in the next year or so in my opinion, the Treasury will be issuing at lower rates again, but they'll still have a structural issue of swapping reverse repo for T-bills. And so, unless the Fed stops QT and ultimately steps back into the market to monetize the debt again, the Treasury will have to keep playing this game of reverse repo to T-bill musical chairs, allowing the deficits to continue to bloom and the debt to continue to spiral higher. So, where does this all leave us as investors? In short, I'm waiting to see whether the Treasury puts stress on the bond market by trying to sneak in longer-dated paper, and whether they start to impact liquidity and threaten to lock up the markets, i.e. break things. This could very well lead to a major credit event. And so I'm watching Treasury auctions closely. If you want to know what to watch for in Treasury auctions yourself, I recently wrote a newsletter all about that as well, and I'll leave a link to that in the show notes also. As for what I'm looking for, it's basically how do the auctions themselves go? Are there signs that the flood of U.S. Treasuries is putting stress in the bond market in particular, or does the market remain largely healthy? Also, do they try to adjust any rules or the SLR calculations or the bank reserve rules and requirements allowing and requiring banks to hold more treasuries? Amid all this, I'm also watching for signs that we're slipping into a recession, which could happen rather quickly as the Fed has raised rates so dramatically. Because in reality, the true economic impact of all that Fed tightening and now more at the hands of the Treasury have largely yet to be seen. So, as we used to say in hockey, keep your head on a swivel and be ready for anything. The information in this newsletter is not intended to constitute individual investment advice and is not designed to meet your personal financial situation. It is provided for information purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. We strongly advise you discuss your investment options with your financial advisor prior to making any investments, including whether any investment is suitable for your specific needs. Subscribe to the Informationist newsletter to stay informed break down information barriers, and learn about financial concepts quickly and easily at www.jameslavish.com.